You're listening to Get Fed Today, one podcast designed to provide the Christian a hearty Bible study five days a week. While our mission is to showcase a variety of different Bible teachers, if you want to access more content from a particular pastor, simply listen to the end of the episode for additional information. On behalf of the entire team at Get Fed Today, it is our prayer that today's episode encourages your growth in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there are a couple of areas that I'm going to try to blend in tonight. I want to talk to you about worship in spirit and in truth. Now, I want you to go to John chapter 4. We'll begin with verse 20, but I want to read to you just a portion of the first verse of John chapter 21, just the first half of that verse. It says this, John is recording one of the very last acts of Jesus, and it says, after these things, and this was some of the things that uh, had gone on after the resurrection. It says, after these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples, to his disciples. Now I look at that, and it seems to me that that's the best definition that I have ever seen for revival. Jesus shows himself again to his disciples. I like that. And whenever I see people who are truly seeing him, revival is occurring. It's just the way it is. Well, about 20 plus years ago, along with the revival that God was giving us and still is, there came a refreshing creative surge of new emphasis on worship. Now that particular surge touched my parts being in two ways, almost simultaneously. One was the rediscovered art of singing the scripture. I had sung many other things, some of them good, not all of them, not all of them scriptural, but just the joy of singing the scripture seemed like such an awesome new... (laughs) yet old discovery. I played the records of those first scripture songs over and over and over, sometimes just lying on the floor with the speakers of my rudimentary high fidelity. Remember (laughs) hi-fi? There to my left and to my right, just absorbing those scripture songs over and over. To me, it was an acre of heaven right there. The second touch. The second surge was a wave of new worship that accompanied the revival. I was still back east, as we say in California, when records of entirely new songs passed from the hands of a friend of mine who is one of those members of this church to mine. My cultural rigidities were shaken enough to crack open and let joy explode at the hearing of, well, there was this strange word, Maranatha, (laughs) that went with it from an interesting place called Calvary Chapel in Costa Mesa. You've heard of it. Well, that surge and that wave caused a new river to have to be penned in on my personal map. Refreshingly, worship was no longer a three-song and offering preliminary for a sermon. 
Now it was an entity of its own, a joyful companion to the receiving of the word. It was a joyous moment for me. Well, one of the things about this was gentleness. It was a a hallmark of this new wave of worship, along with what I call naturalness and intimacy. Although this worship springing from the heart of what we call the Jesus movement was intense, and we've experienced that even tonight, Gentleness kept it from having any frightening forms. The knowledge that nothing would be done to embarrass me or single me out in an audience offered a delightful new freedom to me of worship. Both the neophyte and the sophisticate were equally at home because suddenly the choir had been taken from the platform and placed in the congregation and we all were singing our hearts out. Songs could now be easily sung and remembered. Now it was everyone's property. Now it was natural to sing and play these new songs repeatedly all day long in our new technological tape wonders. Well, no clever methods were ever needed to bring about this overflow of our hearts that would come quickly past our vocal cords. Though we were gladly together, we were still rather interestingly locked into the privacy with God as we sang personally to Him of our love. We learned to, uh, to linger, I heard someone call it, with God. That lingering continues. Well, power also flowed from the rediscovery of worship, excessive power, power that sometimes brought problems with it, sometimes just simply healing, hopefully always an increased love of God. I want to talk about worship. I want to talk about how some ways that God has freed us to do it so we'll stay in tune. And some things that I have seen that maybe if we address these, we can stay intense and personal in our walk of worship with Him. Now, John chapter 4, beginning with verse 20. You know the story. Jesus is here speaking to this Samaritan woman who we commonly refer to as the woman at the well. She has now begun a theological discussion with Jesus. I find that fascinating. Everyone seems to be able to do a theological discussion. Doesn't matter who they are. Or which well they're at. She says to Jesus, Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. Now, let me just put in parentheses here that the Samaritans were limited to merely the first five books, the books of Moses of the Old Testament. So the rest of the wealth and the treasure of Scripture that was available to them that would further reveal the very nature of God, they did not have. And so she was worshiping literally a God she did not know. Most people on this earth worship gods that they do not actually know. 
They wish to appease them. They don't ever really want to know them personally. As I journey around the world, I discover that worshipers exist everywhere and ignorance exists everywhere. And most worshipers worship gods they do not know. In fact, some of the gods whose representations I see, I'm glad I wouldn't know them. And so Jesus says, you worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called the Christ, in parentheses. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Oh, that's a goose bumper. (laughs) Now, I am excited by the fact that this incredible revelation, this breakthrough in worship that occurs right here is not presented to the upper echelons of the theological seminarial halls, but it comes to the simplest, plainest, least likely kind of person. Had this been a declaration to the Sanhedrin, I know what would have happened. They would have said, ah, spirit and truth. Uh, look, you, you, and you be on a committee to come up with a program for spirit and truth worship, okay? That's what they would have done. But, ah, Jesus has now broken us past every one of these walls. And it isn't just a new theological opinion. It is the one who is the object of worship saying, this is now the way it can be done. I love it. At that moment, Jesus destroyed every need for pilgrimage ever to take place from then on. We need not ever hunt a place where now this is an appropriate spot. There are no more high places. There are no more sacred spots. There are no more, ah, here is where the Holy Spirit is. Now, there are many whose worship of God is more associated with the place or more associated with a a church style. Now, that happens quite frequently. Or the presence of a certain type of music, maybe a certain kind of organ, the pipier the better, and so forth. And there are some I know who feel like, oh, I could just sense the Spirit when I walked into that building. I could just look at those windows. You do have windows. Yeah, there's a window. Look at that stained glass. Look at this decoration and so forth. Now what's happening there is that they are in love with the church of nostalgia. There's some warm, gushy feeling that they get from some past experience, but it has chained them to that. And it's like, oh, now I am where I can worship. And Jesus is here saying, everywhere, everywhere where you go, the temple of God, now goes. I like that. There was a time in my life when I felt that you really could only worship God in church. I mean, that's what church is all about. They called it the worship service. 
And the way things were set up, I didn't know how to worship any way other than that. But oh, when I saw this, and the Lord gave me that same kind of worship breakthrough everywhere I was, even the freeways <laughs> became places where I could worship the Lord. They became places where the songs could go. I imagine that every one of you, if there's one thing you demand on your car, it's a tape player. And that song after song, tape after tape of the music that springs from your heart and worship to God has been pushed in there and listened to over and over. If you have a carpool, they'd better be saved. They're going to get saved. Because even the freeway, the automobile becomes a temple, doesn't it? It's the place where we are when we worship the Lord. I do a lot of flying. And I find myself worshiping the Lord on the plane. I, I try sometimes to not embarrass the people next to me. But I get overwhelmed with the things that God is. The way He works in my life and the lives of other people. I hardly know what to do. And even in airplanes, I find myself saying, Lord, it is you keeping this thing up in the air. I worship you for that. We cross over, over places that are so beautiful. And when you see them from the air, I'll never forget the first time I ever saw the Grand Canyon from the air. The pilot had been kind enough to request a rerouting, and he did some banking of the plane back and forth so both sides could see it. Fortunately, my row was, was empty, and I was running back and forth, and as I, I was doing it, I was saying, I couldn't help it, Lord, you do good work. Oh, wonderful, Lord. This is beautiful. Thank you, Jesus. You did this just for me. Thank you. Well, I wasn't trying to embarrass anybody. I was just glad that I knew the Lord. And I discovered that even in an airplane, I could worship Him. Now, out of this, I learned to focus on God and not on any particular method or place. And that became the secret, is to focus on God. I could understand now even Paul's statement that we are to pray without ceasing. I didn't understand that at one point in my life because I thought that a posture was required, that I had to be on my knees with my eyes closed and my head bowed. And it's hard to do that at all times. You know. <laughs> but just as that became free for me, I realized that there was no particular one method that I had to be bound to. Now, wherever I was... My heart could overflow in worship and praise to Him. It was the result of my simply loving Him and fulfilling the first and greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And now it became easy for me to do. Now, another thing that I liked was that along with what I call worship in spirit and truth, I didn't have to be cheer-led to do it. There didn't need to be any hype. I didn't need to compete with one side. Okay, we're going to have this side competing with this side. We'll finally get you folks to do some singing. It didn't need to happen that way at all. All I needed was the opportunity. And no more hype was necessary. No cheerleading. We didn't have to hire somebody and put him through cheerleading school in order to get, okay, I want everybody to sing kind of thing. It was just the overflow. I loved it. 
And when I see that overflow happening, I know the Spirit of God is moving among His people. Well, I love, too, the fact that this God had given us some methods of worship of Him that freed us, some ways of worship that would free us, for instance. Now I could talk to Him in my language. Now, I like that. I know my language. And I can freely speak to Him without having to think, as for instance, as I was running back and forth from one side of that plane to the other. I didn't have to think, now let me see, where do I put thee and where do I put thou in this? But I could just say to Him, oh Lord, you do such good work. I love this. Thank you. I worship you for this. But you know what? I also found out that along with the freedom of that, there is the freedom of worshiping Him beyond the limits of my knowledge, my language, my intellect. Isn't it neat of God to provide for us a method where when I run out of words to say, because I am so overwhelmed by His goodness, His greatness, I can speak to Him in languages beyond my own knowledge. Isn't that excellent? So you see, God has taken care of all sides of this for me. I can worship Him to the limit of my ability, and then He has made arrangements. He says, you don't have to stop there, Erwin. Keep going. And so He's made arrangements for me to get beyond the limits of my... He's made arrangements for me to talk to Him directly. There's a certain place that I frequently go, and I've been talking to them about this because it's a concern, not just of mine, but of some of the other leaders who are there, that the people have not learned to really talk to God. It's like they know He's out there, but, uh, boy, you just don't dare talk to Him. We'll just sing about Him. Now, my wife and I begin the celebration of our 35th anniversary uh, next week, and uh, I have learned that it's best if I talk straight to her. Now, what if I never spoke to her? But when someone visited our house, I said to them, you know, I have the best wife. She is just the neatest thing. I really think she is great. I love her. And my wife's over there and said, well, why don't you tell me? (laughs) But there are many whose approach to God is just that cold and impersonal. They really do believe in God. And and I think maybe they, they love the Lord, but they have never learned that God is a friend that sticks closer than their brother and you can talk straight to him. So at my house, when I turn to my wife and say, I love you, that's when it gets interesting. And the same is true in terms of our worship of the Lord. Well, another thing that I've discovered, and I like this, I'm going to do a little experiment here, is you can worship Him creatively. Everything that God has gifted you to do, you know, I, I watch these who sang tonight, and I'm so jealous of that. When I get to heaven, I'll be able to do that. For the present, the only thing I play is my nose. I pick it and blow it, and that's that's about the extent of it. But I would love to be able... I would love to be able to give that kind of talent and worship to the Lord. I just don't have it now. But I've discovered that where the Holy Spirit is moving, creative new music arises also because it's just the way God seems to work. He seems to still be in the creating kind of business. And I found, too, that 
I can think in fresh ways that I hadn't thought in before as I speak to him directly and use all that he's given. The great art of the centuries gone by has come out of the Bible. You understand that, don't you? It has come out of the Holy Spirit flowing. If you were to take every biblically themed or anywhere near that themed piece of artwork out of all of the museums, you could probably reduce them to one or two. That's how much God has fueled that kind of creativity. But to show you how it can so easily work, and now I'm going to experiment with this. Here's a, here's a chance for you to actually speak out here. I'm going to write on what you say to me, those of you who can. I'm going to write on this board what you say to me. You'll have to call it out, and if I hear it, I'll write it up here. But you'll see what I'm talking about. I'm going to say two words, and I want you to finish this. Ready? God is... <laughs> well, you've got that one down. What else? Joy. Joy. Peace. Peace. Good. Faithful. Sovereign. <laughs> Holy. <laughs> I told you this would be difficult. Sovereign. <laughs> Almighty. <laughs> Able. <laughs> Wonderful. Awesome. Awesome. A uh, best friend. On time, yes. I like that. What else? Righteous. Merciful. Forgiving. Patient, yes. Here. I believe that. What else? Great and long-suffering. Long-suffering. I am a fulfiller. All right, thank you. <laughs> the only way. The becoming one. Light. <laughs> Salvation. Humorous. <laughs> I believe that too. What else? Jealous. Gracious. Maker. Personal. Provider. Friend, did you say? Okay. I've got it up here. What else? Power. Everlasting. Glorious. All-wise. Counselor. Can't spell it. Comforter. What else? All of the above. All of the above, yes. Pure. True. Let's put true. Spirit. The general. <laughs> In charge. Our father, yes. I can't spell that either. Just. Eternal. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we'll stop there. Oh, but this isn't the end, is it? I wonder how much longer we could go. 
Isn't this amazing? I would love for us sometime, and maybe you can do this. It would be a good experiment for you to do. Just sit down and come up with everything that you can think of that fits here. And then begin a little worship project. <laughs> and just say, today, Lord, this could be part of your devotions even. Today, Lord, I just want to worship you because you are this. And you talk to him about all the ways he is this in your life. You could spend a lot of time on this subject of light, couldn't you? I mean, what would you do without light? And He is light, and Him is no darkness at all. Oh, you never have to worry. There might be something hidden here. No, here it is. It's in the light. And just this very thought that the worship that we haven't even begun yet, probing all the areas that we can express worship to Him who is God. So when you say God is, you're opening quite a large box of possibilities for worship here. Well, I like this. This says to me that there will never be an end, never be an end to the worship that we can give to Him. When we come together, ah, oh, we can have a joyous time of worship. And no one has to begin by saying, all right, it's time to worship. And if you know what's good for you, you will worship. No one ever has to say that to us. I like that. All he has to do is give us a chance and get out of the way. Well, that brings up another area I want to talk about a little bit. And that is some things that I have seen that God has given us in terms of some new forms of worship leading. Now, I have discovered in my own worship that a truly good worship leader is the one who disappears the quickest. I call them the invisible worship leader. Now, they're invisible because they understand that their whole job is just to focus my attention on God, and the quicker they can get out of the way to become that bridge so that I'm not seeing anything but God Himself. I'm not thinking of anything but God Himself. I'm not devoting any attention to anything but God Himself. That then is the wise worship leader who has learned how to be invisible. It's, it's a skill. It's a God-given skill. But what a valuable thing to learn how to actually get out of the way. Now, one of the things that I find about that kind of worship leader is that he's learned that his words are like a flat tire. I've decided that if, if I'm leading worship, anything I say, it's like adding a flat tire to a car that I'm going to have to drive. Mostly, I just want to free people to focus on God. I've been in situations, not here, I'm talking about kind of a vast array of experience I've had, where after a couple of songs of what I consider to be awesome worship, I loved it the worship leader somehow or other got irritated. And I never knew why. But he said, all right, if this is the best you can do in worship, I need to talk to you. And I'd listen for 15 or 20 minutes while he beat us over the head because we weren't worshiping. And I said, I did the best I could. But after that, I found myself not thinking about the Lord at all, but wondering, did this make him happy? <laughs> hmm. 
Another thing I find about a worship leader who understands this freedom is that he leads by example. He himself worships. And when he worships, then I'm willing to worship with him. If he says to me, now you'd better worship. I don't know, there's something about me that says, we'll see about this. (laughs) But if he leads the way, I'm with him. In fact, as I've shared with you earlier, the only valid form of leadership in the kingdom of God is leadership by example. And if I'm going to be a worship leader, then I must be a worshiper myself. Another thing that I have seen in some places that it presents a little bit of a difficulty is when a worship leader or even a congregation begins to worship worship. They, they see worship as an entity that sort of has a power, and so now we want power, therefore we will worship in order to achieve this power. We will win this victory because we worship, therefore we're worshiping in order just to win this victory. And we end up worshiping worship as an entity itself, just like in the... Uh, the rather heretical thing that went around and still goes around in many places on faith. People began to have faith in faith rather than faith in God. And some begin to worship worship rather than worshiping God itself. It's like, oh, we need to really have an awesome worship because we got some real victories we need to win here. So I hope this worship is really, really good kind of thing. They're worshiping worship. When the real task and the the leader who understands this and is into this freeing of the spirit of man to worship God will not worship worship, but he'll just simply say, let's focus our attention on God and go from there. Mm. (sighs) Another problem I've seen from time to time is what I call mastering the obvious. There are several places in Scripture where David or, or the psalmist is praying. And it's an obvious prayer. Well, my heart cries out to thee, or hear my prayer, O Lord. And for someone to say, let's sing this as a prayer. I say, well, what else? Or if it's an obvious description of who God is, there's no way to describe it but worship, for them to suddenly say, let's sing this as worship to God. I'm thinking, what are the options? <laughs> you know? It's like a a mastery of the obvious. So the wise leader, the one who will free, does not master the obvious, nor does he focus on anything but God himself, not even on his skills. Now, this is one of the really interesting areas, and I've struggled with this, because I believe God wants us to take the talents we have and develop them, to the very best so we can lay them at his feet as good tools for him to use. But the best use of my talents is not to focus your attention on my talent, but to use my talent to focus your attention on God. So when I see any attempt to highlight or spotlight my skills rather than to spotlight God, I say, oh, Lord, we've kind of drifted off. Now, please understand that I'm not talking about you. But I'm talking about, as I mentioned, this array of experience I've had as I journey around. Well, 
A good worship leader will not have what I call a theological agenda. Now, I've been in some places where worship was just a preliminary to do something to you, either to therapyize you or to loosen you up so they could then get you to do something else that you might not would have done had you either had any sense or not been uh, jangled by the worship. And I realize there's an agenda here that is not necessarily for my good, but it's to accomplish their particular ends. And that kind of a theological agenda is actually a bondage form for me rather than a freedom form because I begin to think, okay, what is it that they want from me? Rather than how can I focus my attention on God? Well, there's another thing I've seen as I've journeyed. There's a certain theology that's being taught, and I know what they're after, and I agree with what they're after. It's just, well, here's what it is. There is some teaching that we need to return to a, a temple form of worship or a Davidic form of worship where you begin in the, in the outer court in a sense and you sing a certain type of song out here and then you are now ready to move into the next stage of being close to God and you sing a certain type of song here and then you can now move into the holy place and then you sing a certain type of song there and then finally... You have reached the point where you can move into the holiest place and there have fellowship with God. Well, right off the bat, you see that this violates Jesus' statement about the places where we can worship God. But here's the other thing it does. It separates us from God. You see, when Jesus hung on the cross and there was this incredible lightning bolt from heaven that split that veil that separated us from the holiest place right from the top to the bottom, which was God's doing. Had it been from the bottom to the top, it would have represented man's doing, but it was from the top to the bottom. Now suddenly we were all in the room that to enter in it without being sinless and without doing it at the time God said would represent death instantly for us. But now suddenly we were all in the same room with that and yet we didn't die oh but our great high priest had died carrying our sins behind that curtain so that we could be free and now we are told in Hebrews 4 let us come boldly before the throne of grace frankly boldly here I am and when someone says, no, you got to start out here and sing this kind of song so that we can eventually get in there, you know what they're doing? They're sewing the veil back up. I feel sorry for them because on song one, I'm right there in, in the middle. And they are too. They just don't realize it. Maybe they've got their back turned as they go in. But I know where we are. We're right here. We're in the presence of God. So don't sew the veil back up. It's one of the theological agendas I've seen from time to time. I think one who wants to continue this kind of freedom would not provide any sort of distraction. There are numerous ways that distractions that can come up. From up here, I can distract you with extraneous words. I can distract you by putting guilt on you or pressure on you rather than offering an invitation to 
to worship the Lord. Uh, I can do it with certain types of play or by stopping everything just so you can hear me in a certain particular style of play for a while. There are a lot of different things I can do that would just simply distract you from up here. But there are things I can make you do that would distract you. Now, I'm an old hand holder, but I like it best when I'm holding hands with my wife, I'll tell you that. But there are times when I've seen guys say, all right, I want everybody to hold hands. Now, there's nothing intrinsically wrong with that. They'll say, you know, I want everybody to, you know, cross the aisles and what have you. And I want you to hold hands while we sing this next song. Now, sometimes I'm thinking, now, how does holding hands go with the next song? Because when we sing the song, that doesn't have anything to do with unity or anything of that sort. But here's what I've discovered. We can say to people, we want you to hold hands, but do you realize we don't have an alternate statement like unhand each other? <laughs> you know, it's, it's kind of awkward to say, hey, hey, you can let go now, okay? And I, I've done this when somebody didn't understand that. And they said it early in a worship service, we held hands for 30 minutes because <laughs> we didn't know what to do. <laughs> Now, what was going on, and believe me, the guy, a particular friend of mine did this. I love the guy. He's one of the best worship leaders in the world, but he missed that. And I thought, you just didn't even realize what you did. You took our focus off of the Lord, and we're, we're trying to figure out, when do we let go? <laughs> there are places, and, and, and I, I can't fault this in its entirety simply because... It is authorized for us to stand before the Lord. But there are places that pride themselves in 45 minutes of standing. They really do. It's like if you sit down before 45 minutes is up, then you probably really aren't spirit-filled. <laughs> huh? Well, after about 30 minutes, I'm noticing my legs more than I am the Lord. And I think, I wonder if they realize that what to them they intended as an expression to God instead becomes a distraction. And I've learned, boy, if I want to free people, I don't want to ever distract them, ever, from up here. There's another thing. Aren't you glad that I'm having to tell you about this? There is a song, I Love You with the Love of the Lord. I don't know how many times I've sung that and the leader said, now I want you to turn to the person next to you and sing it to them. Look into their eyes. <laughs> and I understand what they're after. They're wanting to enhance our relationship with each other. What they don't realize is they have created a massive anxiety out there. <laughs> Because after about the first line of that song, we're thinking, great day. Only to my wife have I stared in the eyes this long and sung anything like this. And so it becomes, in a sense, a distraction. And instead of my thoughts being on the Lord, they are instead on myself or maybe on someone else. There are a lot of ways that that happens. I was in one particular meeting. It was all the way on the other side of the world, really. I won't tell you where or when. 
But the particular leaders of this conference decided that the thing that we were supposed to do was dance. Now, I realize that that's a biblical concept. I'm not going to fight against that being a biblical concept. But there are simply times when to orchestrate it is a distraction. And I was enjoying the Lord without dancing. In fact, the Lord has sort of said to me, Erwin, for you... I don't want you singing to me, Galen. <laughs> now you can make a joyful noise, but, you know. And as I stood there, and they kept staring at me and saying, when are you going to move? I was thinking, you just don't understand. Or as they're saying in political terms now, you don't get it, do you? That the worship is not aligned with your form. I was worshiping the Lord. I was enjoying the Lord. And I didn't have to do that in order to just enjoy Him. So there are all kinds of ways that one, if you're not resonating with expectations and where you are, then you're going to do something that would distract. But now I'm talking at this particular point, I've been talking about... How do you lead in worship to free people and, and really sharing with you principles that you've experienced and you already understand? There's another side to this too. I've also learned that if I'm going to be part of a congregation, part of a worship experience where we're together like this, I need to learn to be an invisible worshiper in the same way that I would want the worship leader to be invisible. From where you are, if I'm seated with you, I don't want to do anything that will distract the person next to me or to distract the person behind me that would in any way get in their eye way or their consciousness way to keep them from thinking about the Lord. I was in a place not very long ago where the real shakers and movers occupied the front row. And the rest of the congregation was, you know, gently worshiping the Lord, but the front row decided to jump up, and they moved. I didn't know you could make that many moves. <laughs> I believe that they loved the Lord. That wasn't the question. And I can accept that maybe they were worshiping the Lord, but suddenly I was thinking... Why did they do that? I was really enjoying just focusing on the Lord, but now I have to forcibly close my eyes and not even think about them because they have just visually captured my mind. And so I must learn not to do anything as a member of a congregation that visually or any other way distracts others from simply focusing on God and enjoying Him. Well, ultimately, finally, I've decided that worship is so much like the nature of Jesus. He was the one truly others-centered person. And do you realize that when we begin to worship the Lord, we're truly getting out of ourselves and for maybe one of the few times in our lives totally focusing on another and that very act is practice for the way God wants us to actually live 
our lives in giving ourselves away. Truly servant-hearted, others-centered person with hearts that overflow in praise to God, fulfilled because of our worship of Him, enjoying God, as one great catechism says, forever. Well, Paul tells us in Romans 12:1, he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, and you only do anything by His mercies, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Here I am, God. Everything I am, I give to you. Holy, and He does that for you. Acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Now, that word is translated both worship and service. Your reasonable worship. Here I am, God. Everything I am is yours. All that I am is yours. I have settled the question. I belong to nobody but you. Here I am. That is reasonable worship. Now, as the Holy Spirit continues to move and continues to bless, we continue to give ourselves. Here I am, God. Here I am. I've come because I love you. And I've come because I love your people. And I only want to focus on you. And I only want to hear about you. And I want to know you in the power of your resurrection. Well, when that happens, I think then we truly fulfill what David says to us in Psalm 34. He says, I will bless the Lord at all times. I like that. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Mm. So, what is the praise of your heart tonight? Even as we went through this list, which we, of course, did not complete, something stood out in your mind, didn't it? Maybe it was the word that you shouted out. Or maybe it was something someone else said, and I wrote it up here, and you thought, Oh, yes, I am truly glad that he is that. Ah, I will bless you, Lord, because you are that. Your praise will continually be in my mouth. Hmm. Oh, Father, I do worship you. You are so good to us. It is only natural that we should worship you. Or it's only supernatural, Lord. It's natural for me to worship myself. But it's supernatural to worship you. And I want to stay in that realm. I want to constantly focus my mind and thoughts on you and treat others in keeping with having done that. Lord, I ask that you continue to give us pure hearts and worship and empower us to do those things that say we really love you and you have our whole being, Lord. Help us be freedom agents for others, to produce freedom for them, to truly worship you. I know their, their hearts cry out to, but many don't know that they can. Many are bound in systems that won't permit them. We ask you to keep us free, keep us loving you, and keep us loving each other, and freely expressing it in all ways. Lord, I ask this 
in the name of Jesus. And we praise you through him gladly. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to Get Fed Today. Today's sermon comes from Pastor Gail Irwin. If you enjoy the message, you can access more of Pastor Gail's teaching ministry by visiting servant.org.